0: yeah those, those are some of the data that was so amazing to see so yes this soil health management practices help improve the water holding capacity it helps improve the roots resilient in the soil even in dry conditions and they all add up to this amazing farm that we saw in Tomsville.
1: Welcome to the 327th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, community food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. As farmers put the 2023 growing season in the rearview mirror, many in the Midwest are assessing the impact extreme drought had on their crop fields and pastures. In fact, for many farmers, this was the second year in a row That they experience drier than normal conditions. As I record this podcast here in Minnesota, lack of late fall rains and early winter snowfall is extending the drought well into 2024. For farmers utilizing practices that build soil health, the past two growing seasons have been a good test of whether they are making their land more resilient in the face of extreme weather. A lot of this assessment is based on balancing short-term setbacks with long-term soil building gains. For example, as we've noted in a couple of recent podcasts, one issue that's coming up is concerns around how much cover crops compete with cash crops for moisture, and the impact that has on yields. On the other hand, anecdotal evidence is showing that farms that, over a number of years, have been utilizing practices such as cover cropping, no-till, long crop rotations, and managed rotational grazing are building the kind of soil that helps store moisture and make it available to growing plants when they most need it. And it turns out, this is not just anecdotal evidence. This fall, while attending a field day at the Tom and Alma Cotter Farm near Austin, Minnesota, I was excited to see a presentation put on by researchers connected with the Sand County Foundation. The foundation has been doing a multi-year study of 30 farms across Minnesota and Wisconsin. Each operation is paired with a neighbor farming on a similar soil type but with variation in land management. In short, farms that are using soil health practices that involve cover cropping, reduced or no tillage, longer rotations, and rotational grazing of livestock are being compared to operations utilizing more conventional practices. The goal of the initiative is to measure how infiltration, water holding capacity, leaching potential, aggregate stability, and other soil health properties critical to improving resiliency and cutting fertilizer and manure runoff, are influenced by management. The Cotter's farm, which for the past several years has been utilizing numerous soil health practices to produce crops and livestock, is one of the operations participating in the side-by-side comparison. During the field day, Samuel Quach, an agricultural field data scientist for the Sand County Foundation, presented data showing how the Cotter farm's soil health practices are building the kind of environment that's allowing the family to grow good crops even in the midst of a drought. It turns out that this tracks with what the researchers are seeing on other farms participating in the study. Final results won't be ready until sometime in 2024, but the project's preliminary findings already provide some solid scientific backing to what farmers are observing in their fields and pastures. More roots in the ground for a longer period of time equals better management of moisture and nutrients. After the field day, I talked to Samuel, along with Heidi Peterson and Anirata Garge, about the Foundation's Show Me the Data research project. Heidi is the Vice President of Agricultural Research and Conservation for the Sand County Foundation. Anarada is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Minnesota's Department of Soil, Water, and Climate. Heidi started our conversation by describing the overall project and what they hope to learn from it.
2: So it is called the Show Me the Data. Uh, Empowering Conservation Champions with Innovative Real-Time Soil Metrics Project, and it was funded by the Environmental Protection Agency through a farmer-to-farmer outreach grant. And we have 30 farmers across Minnesota and Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They're paired up. What we are hoping to do is show that by managing with a soil health system Mm -hmm. that you will improve your climate resilience. So that means increasing infiltration, reducing erosion, improving your water holding capacity within the soils as well. So when there are extreme precipitation events, That water is not ponding, it's infiltrating through the soil and getting down to the roots where the plants can use it rather than running off and causing uh, water quality concerns. And then also, on the opposite side, if there's a period of extreme drought like we've been uh, having recently, Mm -hmm. that the soils are still able to provide that water content to the plant so that they... Can maintain their productivity.
1: So it's 30 farms and they're just generally where they kind of what's the general location in Minnesota and Wisconsin?
2: Well we selected all different regions because we wanted to show that depending on where you are the variation is going to change. So Mm -hmm. there's a cluster in southeast Minnesota and a cluster in southwest Minnesota and there's even a, a pair of sites that are north in potato country, in oh. the very sandy soils. Oh. And those are irrigated sites. And then across Wisconsin, we have within Dodge County. And then also southeast in Racine County.
1: These are, you mentioned the potato, and then the others are crop, some livestock? Or what's the kind of farming are we seeing?
2: We wanted to capture all different management. Mm-hmm. So, And that was the goal. And so we try to have the variety of soil health management principles. And that includes, yes, in some integrate livestock grazing. Uh, some of them may have no-till or reduced till, whereas others are using cover crops. Uh, we also have one with hemp. We have sunflowers, we have corn, soybean, uh, just all varieties of crops uh, that are grown within the Midwest.
1: And this is a uh, multi-year or is this a, is this the last year or is, how many years is it?
2: It's a three year project mm-hmm. and this is the last year funded through the EPA. Okay. What we hope to do though, Brian, is we want to uh, extend the grant, get some additional funding so that the farmers that have been managing a conventional system, they're ready to make a shift. Mm. They are expressing interest, and a lot of that came from that peer-to-peer network, Mm -hmm. talking with their neighbor, learning why, and seeing the results of the data uh, that's all provided real-time right to their cell phones. And uh, so we're hoping that we can... Ha- help them implement the practice, and then allow them to continue to see the change observed uh, with that data as it's
3: continued to be collected.
1: Yeah, Anurana, can you talk a little bit about some of the res- the way, some of the parameters of the research you're doing, kind of what you're looking at?
3: When we talk about soil health, uh, soil health can be looked from three different aspects. It's the physical health of the soil, it's the chemical health, and the biological health of the mm-hmm. soil. So when we talk about physical health, it could be in terms of the aggregate stability of the soil, what is the water holding capacity of the soil, how good it is uh, in infiltrating the water it is receiving. And when we talk about the chemical health of the soil, it could be different parameters that we are looking at. What is the pH of the soil? We have an ideal pH that should be maintained for different types of soil. What could be the ionic concentration that includes calcium, magnesium, potassium and uh, yeah like that mm-hmm. and we also have percentage based saturation that is a parameter that is used which is calculated based on all these ironing concentration mm-hmm. so it is a like cumulative parameter and if we talk about i, I should be definitely I, i'm skipping a few parameters but there are more and if we talk about the biological health of the soil it is mainly in terms of yeah additional to the active organic carbon content and the mineralizable nitrogen content of the soil. It is also the microbial properties of the soil, microbial content of the soil. So we have certain tests that we follow, for example, PLFA test, which gives us uh, the ratio of different microbes that are present in the soil the ratio that we see like for example the ratio of bacteria to fungi and like protozoa and actinomycetes so all that concentrations give a very holistic picture how our soil should be and how it is right now so it is good to look at all the data so it's not just sometimes we just have a visual picture of the soil like mm-hmm. oh it's holding right so it should be a good healthy healthy soil but right. it's better to dig deeper and get all that picture not regularly but once in a while at least once in a year so yeah, yeah. that gives us a lot of information about the soil health
1: that's a super good point because kind of around, in this part of minnesota in in this part of the midwest with yeah. corn and soybean farmers in particular the traditional soil test is i want to know how much in i and k i have you know so that i can figure out what my corn yields will be come fall, that kind of thing. But this, like you said, is a much more holistic, big picture look that you're taking. So Samuel, you, uh, we're at the Tom Connor farm today, and we had seen some of the practice. He's one of the farms that's part of this mm. this project, and so we had seen some of the practices he's doing, and did kind of some field, just some field, real quick field testing to see the results of that, and we're able to kind of verify that he is. A little bit on the right track, it looks like, with building soil health. But you you presented on some results that you've been seeing, and it seems, it sounds like you were kind of struck by some of the results you saw. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I'm particularly interested in his soil and, and the, the ability of some of these farmers, their soil, to manage water because mm-hmm. we are in the midst of yeah. a really severe drought right now. It's on everybody's mind. So if you could just talk a
0: little bit about that. So as as mentioned earlier on, uh, the name of the project is Show Me the Data. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested in working on the data and the data analysis to see what is going on. But to talk specifically about Tom's Field, all the physical and chemical properties that it was me- that was mentioned by Anuradha earlier on uh, about the active carbon, about the uh, microorganisms, mm-hmm. and they all help in the process of the water holding capacity of the soil. Mm-hmm. Because if you have more organic carbon, then you are increasing the active carbon portion of your soil and improving the soil structure we we saw as i presented the data for tom that his soil had very high aggregate stability which is a very good property when it comes to water holding capacity as compared to its per field and we could see from the uh, moisture content data that i presented that the crops are really absorbing the water even during this dry condition Mm -hmm. they were able to the crops the roots were resilient they were able to find the little water that is in the soil and the trend we could see from the graph that they were absorbing some amount of water and as tom and others testified as we saw in his field the crops are doing good but when we compare to it per field, we could see that not the same reaction in terms of water absorption. So, yes, this soil health management practices help improve the water holding capacity. It helps improve the roots resilient in the soil, even in dry conditions. And they all add up to this amazing farm that we saw in Tomsville.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to go back to that the roots, because that's something I think. Even with cover crops, people say we shouldn't just be call- calling them cover crops. We should be calling them something else because it's really not just
0: about covering that yeah. soil. It's that root system that seems to be so key. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes you, we, what we witness is the above-ground biomass, mm-hmm. right? And it tells us a lot also about what is going on below ground. If you see a crop that is not doing so well, in the above ground, mm-hmm. definitely there are some challenges also beneath uh, the surface of the soil. So these roots, they, they they grow very strong and they grow very well in the soil health management practices because of all this accumulation of carbon, mm-hmm. uh, the infiltration, the improvement of all these parameters. With all these good things happening in the soil, the root is able to find its way easily through the soil to be able to source the the little amount of water as we're seeing mm-hmm. is a very drought condition. Yeah. The little amount of water that maybe is below or is between, say, 8 inches and 16 inches, these roots are able to find them because they can grow and penetrate into the soil mm-hmm. with that amount of ease as compared to a conventional system where uh, there, it, there is some form of hard pan being created beneath the surface of the soil, mm-hmm. which creates all these challenges of the root penetrating. Yeah. So yes, the soil health management practices is really helping the crop to grow and the roots to be resilient, even in drought conditions. And the, the roots and
1: the cover cropping is a, plays a major role, but does no-till play a role too, The not disturbing the soil?
0: Yeah, so no-till also plays a very, very important role. Because not disturbing the soil, as we, we, we've we seen with the data that Tom presented, not running the soil with all this heavy machinery mm-hmm. creates that soil that can infiltrate water easily, that can hold water and improve the structure and the aggregate stability mm-hmm. of the soil. And that helps the root to grow, and it will reflect in the above ground biomass as well
1: yeah the one chart you showed that was really striking for me was i think it showed it in 2022 maybe where in august there was no rain and he was still getting moisture he was still getting
0: his crops were still somehow getting moisture but not the the uh, comparison farm at all yeah those, those are some of the data that was so amazing to see because sometimes it's easier to say it and just it's hard for other others to believe. Mm -hmm. And if we see but when we see the data showing that yes, even in drought conditions, these soil health management fields are able to source for water, able to source, and of course, wo- uh, nutrient moves with water. Mm-hmm. So if they can source for water, then it means they are absorbing nutrient as well, and this improves the growth and the overall yield as well.
1: So I know you're just starting to dig into the data. Is are you seeing this on other farms too, or is this was this is this unique, or are you seeing it on other the, kind of the same kind of is this tracking
0: with other trends that you're seeing? Yeah, that is a very good question. As we said earlier, on each field. Behaves differently. Yeah. But this is a pattern that we are seeing in some of the soil health management uh, systems. We see how all these come together to improve the water absorption by the roots of, of the plants through the soil. So, yeah, we are not seeing in just the Tom's field, uh-huh. but we are also seeing in other fields as well.
1: It seems like we're at a really neat spot where a lot of the farmers that that i know were pioneers in regenerative and soil health practices were doing things that they were observing but they weren't quite sure why they were happening but now this almost seems like the science and some of the ways we can monitor soil health are catching up to what they were observing if that makes sense you know that there's we're seeing these great soil tests we're seeing these more holistic way of looking at the soil i mean is that something in your research that you're seeing we're just we're figuring out how to how to we're we're figuring out a way to learn more and verify what maybe we had observed, but we weren't quite sure what the connections were.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a very good question because that is the reason we are collecting a lot of data for all these sites. So what uh, we haven't got all the results yet, but from the prima facie, what we can look at the data collected so far is that when we compare two sites for example where one is um, one site has the soil health management practices mm-hmm. and the other is still following the conventional ones looking at just one parameter for example if we talk about active carbon content maybe the data shows that the active carbon content is higher in conventional site but is that additional data supporting that point so that is why we are collecting all that data. So And we did talk a lot about the practice of cover cropping today. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you are using some crop as a cover crop. Mm-hmm. You have to manage it well. You have to be very, very mindful in selecting the kind of crop you are choosing and how you are managing that, what time you are planting and how is it. Uh, for example, I, sent, uh, I just attended a session yesterday where they were talking a lot about The root system of the cover crops that makes a difference. Mm
1: -hmm. It helps I guess it really just just really reinforces how important observation is for farmers and David Kleinschmidt who is one of the soil Mm -hmm. health specialists who spoke today, he talked a lot about not being a purist being somebody who says I'm Never going to do no till I'm never going to, I'm always going to do it this way. That kind of defeats the purpose of this regenerative practices where you're able to maybe roll with the punches a little bit and be flexible when we have a drought or when we have flooding or whatever that you have to adjust your practices. So I think this kind of research kind of helps back up. Farmers can go out, maybe they have a simple way of observing. They're digging up soil or they are Mm -hmm. doing a a soil health test. But this kind of research can kind of, in their mind go well yes this backs up maybe what i'm observing just um, on my own very informal observation and helps me justify adjusting the way i do things that i don't i shouldn't be stuck in a certain way because nature can throw you a curveball all the time
3: that's yeah that's totally right and it's always that is why it is recommended to always have your soil tested once in a while Mm -hmm. so that you can have a deeper picture of what we are doing for example, what uh, uh, Swami will talk about, the aggregate stability of the soil. Mm-hmm. So it involves and has a correlation with various things. Uh, what is the carbon content of the soil? What is the microbial properties of the soil? So it's always recommended to have your soil tested and get some of the research done and have scientists and you know people from science involved in your field mm-hmm. uh, so that you can have a better idea how it is performing. And if you want to change your current practices, yes, definitely that's the first step that you should be looking forward to and not just jump into any practice that you think should be suitable for your farm.
1: I'm going back to a point that I think, Heidi, you made that one of the exciting things about this project as it wraps up is the farmers who were the quote-unquote conventional Mm -hmm. control Mm -hmm. group, They're seeing, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'd like to learn more about how to adapt some of these practices. One of the results, I assume, or one of the goals of a project like this is to show, yeah, these practices do benefit the soil. And, you know, that can maybe help guide science, future science, maybe even, you know, the way we um, regulate certain practices, all sorts of things. But this also has another role, right? It helps kind of get farmers excited about Taking a different approach uh, to what they're doing.
2: Yeah, I think it just really captures why collaboration is so important and why uh, establishing a peer-to-peer learning network is mm-hmm. so critical. Uh, because if you, it it doesn't matter what's what is happening on your field in terms of the management. If if you can talk together with your neighbor mm-hmm. and learn from each other. That's how you you see the difference. because if you're only looking at your own field, your own data, then you aren't able to understand what can what if I tried this or what if I did that? Or is what I have been doing the last five years, is it making a difference? Um, so I, I think that it helps both sides. and it's really just a, it's really meant to, be an opportunity to build that confidence to make in-season management decisions but also next year's decisions and when somebody is thinking of making a transition it's that thought of it's all or nothing but no if you're going to try something new just try it on a low yielding area of your field and see what happens. And that's, I, I think, a, a great way to get the foot in the door and uh, and learn from the results and then add more next year or pick a different field next year.
1: It strikes me as another area that this could really help is in like the USDA, the NRCS, for example, as cost share programs, local SWCD. And, and we need guidance sometimes on what is the best Use of that money? What is the best way to kind of help jumpstart a farmer's journey, soil health journey? So I could see research like this really being useful for saying, well, you know, a certain kind of scop- cover cropping system can result in so many inches of precipitation that you have stored in your, uh, in your soil at a certain time of year. So that's a good investment and it's, it's a good investment for the public if that farm is more resilient.
2: Exactly. And uh, one of the things that we uh, at Sand County Foundation are trying to promote is also that idea of farmer-led groups. Mm -hmm. Because when you get a community together and you get to share ideas and build out demonstration projects together, then... It's a great way to quickly spread the word about what's working, what's not working, because you're all in the same region and uh, most likely as, as, uh, also experiencing the same issues. And the and so why not learn from each other's hiccups so that you can prevent somebody else from making those same mistakes? Uh, so that's what I really love about this this project is that we truly are all learning together and we didn't know what the outcomes were going to be.
0: As I think it was um, I think it was Tom, one of the soil health management champions who, who said that like as Heidi mentioned is helping everyone else also to get on board. Mm. Because if I have a neighbor who is using the conventional system and I share water with that neighbor, whatever happens in his field Uh, directly or indirectly can also affect maybe the practices that I am doing in my field. So this project really is great and we we are excited of how it's going. The farmers, peer group, they're able to talk to their neighbors to show them what they are doing and what they are achieving in their fields and this will help improve their farms together and they will all get to benefit.
1: For more information on the Sand County Foundation's Show Me the Data Soil Health Initiative, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground, episode 327 at landstewardshipproject.org. There you'll also find a link to LSP's Soil Health webpage as well as related podcasts. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore@LandStewardshipProject.org at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on whatever podcast platform you utilize. And word of mouth is the best way to spread the news about our podcast. If you like what you hear, tell at least one person about LSP's Ear to the Ground. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Street Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.